All right, if you'll take God's precious word and turn to the book of Proverbs tonight. I'm excited to teach the Bible. The book of Proverbs, chapter 6. God willing, we'll be expounding verses 6 through 7. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. The title of the message tonight is Harvest Time. Harvest Time. Again, I love how Proverbs goes to so many different topics. I mean, it's going to put its finger on all of us before we're through, right? And chapter 6 has introduced us to some much needed financial wisdom. There's a lot of people that look so smart. I mean, they are smart. They're smart academically. They're smart intellectually. But when it comes to finances, their brain just don't calculate it too well. They don't, they don't figure. They don't plan too well. And, and, and everyone has their weak places. Everyone has their strengths. And... Uh, and God wants us to be wise in our finances and, and successful in every area of our lives. And that's why He's given us His Word. And I love to, to teach on finances in the Bible. So I'm, I'm excited for the opportunity to do so tonight. Last week, Solomon warned us about becoming sureties in other people's affairs. And I, and I had so many people comment on that. Last week, I, I, I was afraid some people would think, ah, oh, we don't need to hear that, you know, which we do. But so many people were so thankful uh, for that practical wisdom in God's Word last week. But he, he warned us about that, about becoming sureties in other people's affairs, like being a co-signer on a loan was one of the examples we use. And now in verse 6 tonight, the Scriptures address perhaps the most important aspect of our personal finances, which is our personal responsibility. Our personal responsibility. The Bible says, look here now in verse 6, Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Now here we're presented with a pattern and a person. A pattern and a person. The ant is presented to us in Scripture as a pattern that we should go by. A creature that God, by designing this ant, has instilled His wisdom into the ant's instinct so that we can go to the ant and learn and glean that wisdom God instilled in that little creature for ourselves. The, the next thing, not only that, the ant was the pattern, but now we look at the person, and the person is whom? It's the sluggard, right? The person is the sluggard. And uh, the, the sluggard is the, is the one who's in need of going to the ant. In fact, commanded to go there. A sluggard is a person who doesn't like to exert himself or herself. He's a lazy person. And the Hebrew word translated sluggard, it's really neat. It literally means to lean, to lean. And so you've got someone over here, and they got their work gloves on, and they're working real hard. And then you got somebody else over here. And it's kind of like that. 
Look at watching them work. We all know people like that. We've all seen people like that. You got the go-getters and you got the no-getters. And the, the sluggard is the leaner. Someone who just relaxing, just not wanting to do anything, no exertion, just leaning on something just like what I just showed you. So when you think of a sluggard, think of someone leaning against the wall, leaning back in a rocking chair with their hands back behind their head like that, taking it easy. And all the lazy leaners out there, dare many don't call me lazy leaners after that, all the lazy leaners out there, God says you should go to the ant, look back in your text, and look, consider her ways. So a lazy person should study the ant, the Bible says. Watch what that ant does. Note her behavior, look back in your text, and be wise. Meaning after you consider the ways of the ant, you should apply what you've learned to your own life and behavior. Once you consider and apply the wisdom that God put into that ant, then you're no longer a foolish sluggard. Now you're a wise ant at heart, you see. There are a lot of men who are wise like the ant. There are a lot of people who are very savvy financially. And uh, they're, they're really good patterns for people to go by. But, but when another person prospers financially, here's the problem. When another person prospers financially, instead of taking notes, instead of watching that financial uh, guru or the person who's succeeding financially, the person will look at the other person who's successful. Instead of taking notes, they'll start making excuses. They'll start blaming that person. And, and all the reasons why they can't do what that person does. They'll say, well, that guy, he gets all the breaks. Or he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. That's his deal. Nobody ever gives me a break. They say, well, that person's privileged. That's why they're wealthy like that. I, I'm not a person of privilege like that. I can't do what they've done. They say, well, I'm not as smart as they are. Or they'll say, well, I have disabilities. We've got a man at work. He rides really nice vehicles. I mean expensive vehicles. He always pulls up and parks in the handicap spot. He's got a little handicap placard on his, on his uh, rearview mirror. He's an attorney. And uh, he gets out and walks just fine. He said, well, Brother Richard, you don't know what his abilities and disabilities are. Well, I'll tell you this. When he's not driving his expensive automobiles, he's riding his Harley to work. And I don't think a handicapped person and a big old Harley-Davidson motorcycle go hand in hand. So he tells me that he's handicapped because he has nerve trouble in his feet. He never knows when they're going to go out from under him. Never knows what they're going to do. Well, if you're riding a big old fat Harley-Davidson motorcycle, you've got to have some kind of confidence in your feet when you come to that red light. So I'm not buying it. But people like to do that. They like to, well, I've got disabilities, or I can't do this, or they, they make some kind of excuse up. 
So, instead of going to the successful person and considering his ways, God says, okay, if you can't learn from the person, go learn from the ant. Can you do that? I mean, you've got a lot more capability than an ant. Surely you can go to that tiny little ant and consider her ways. The ant is one of the smallest creatures in the world. The ant has no formal education. The ant belongs to no union. The ant isn't a person of privilege. The ant hasn't been given any breaks in life. The ant doesn't have the level of intelligence that we do. But that little ant handles its business and provides for its own needs. So if that little ant can do it, so can we. That's something the slugger, the lazy person, hasn't learned how to do. The ant is a productive member of society. Think about it. They provide a a meaningful task to society, to people, to to, to their colony. And, And that's something the lazy person, the sluggard, has not become. What is it that we should consider about the ant? Well, the ant is a creature, look back in verse 7 now, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler. So there's a characteristic of the ant. One of the things you need to learn about the ant, they have no guide, overseer, or ruler. When you see an ant, and and we we see trails of ants all the time. Jeremini's, y'all kids listen up. If you haven't learned this yet, here's here's something you can do. You can watch these little ants. Have y'all ever just followed ants and watched them? They got their head down, and they're following the trail of the ant that went ahead of them. I remember one time, long time ago, I took some cleaning fluid, and I cleaned that little spot, that little trail. And I watched it, and the next ant coming, and they get up to that little spot that I wiped, and they just started roaming around. They didn't know what to do. They just lost. But you know what you don't see about that ant? You don't see someone behind that ant going, all right, come on now, come on, let's go, let's go, let's get moving. They're just out there handling their business. And they bump into each other, and they go around each other and just keep on going. They have no guide, no overseer, no ruler. They're all just out handling their business. And Solomon says this is a characteristic of a person who is not a sluggard. This is a characteristic that we as people need to achieve. The things the ant is without. No guide, no overseer, no ruler. And by now you should be getting the idea that God wants us to be personally responsible without the aid of government. Which is what that is. No aid. I'm sorry. No, uh, no guide. No overseer. No ruler. He wants us to like the ant. Handle our personal affairs with no guide. That is no one having to hold our hand. No overseer. That is no one having to watch us. And hold us accountable. And number three. No ruler. Knowing having to force us. Or tell us what to do. Wouldn't that be great?
I, I want to be that kind of person. You know, my, my wife, she doesn't ever have to say, well, now, Richard, did you pay the water bill? Richard, are you going to work tomorrow? Richard, have we got enough money in the bank? Richard, are you saving for the future, for our, for our old age? She would never think to ask me about that. Because she knows I'm going to handle it by God's grace with no guide, no overseer, and no ruler. I'm self-motivated. Without any government assistance, the ant, without anyone having to go and motivate and drive that person. Man, there's people like that. You've got to stay on them and stay on them and stay on them. God doesn't want us to be that way. We need to be able to get up, put her pants on, put her shoes on, get up, go to work, handle our business, and think through our problems on our own and deal with our personal business without having to depend on everybody else. And without any of that assistance, the ant, verse 8, provideth her meat in the summer. Provideth her meat in the summer. Now, meat means food. doesn't necessarily just mean, uh, you know, like protein meat. It means food. Without any of those things, she provides her food in, for, in the summer. Not too many years ago in the United States, if you didn't hustle to provide food for your family, then you'd go hungry. Plain and simple. Not too many years ago, there weren't any Lone Star cards in Texas. There, not too many years ago, there weren't any food stamps in the United States. Not too many years ago, there weren't any young, healthy people mooching off the government, having no jobs, and just getting into trouble. I don't know if you all saw the Tucker Carlson uh, this week, but he had uh, a program that I saw today, I'm not sure when it aired, that <laughs> these people, it looked like it was probably really late at night, and they're all intoxicated, and they go into a Waffle House. How many of y'all saw that episode? You? Anybody else? They go into a Waffle House, and there was only one cook in the Waffle House, and a whole lot of people ordering at one time, and it just wasn't coming out fast enough. So they jumped over the counter and started trying to beat up on the employees. They all started grabbing chairs and throwing them over the counter. And you know what? I almost promise you, none of those people had a job to go to that morning, that following morning. People like us can't do that. We've got work to go to. And the government assistance in the United States has hurt our society terribly. It has. It's not really assisting anybody. But they didn't have time to get into trouble not too long ago because they were too busy working. And if they didn't work, then they didn't eat. Not too long ago, my grandmother was packing her husband's, my grandfather's lunch in a syrup bucket for the day while he went to go stand outside a place of business hoping that somebody would call in sick because he didn't work there. He didn't have a job there, but he needed a day's pay. So he'd take his little syrup bucket, 
with a little whatever lunch he packed in there, and he'd go stand outside. If someone called in sick, they'd call him in, and he'd get to work for the day. Not too long ago, my dad was delivering newspapers in Houston, Texas on his bicycle before he went to school to help put food on the table for his parents, for his family to eat. They offered him a job at the at the paint newspaper, delivering the papers. He said, that's not enough. I need two routes. So he ran two routes on his bicycle. And then he went to school, got his schoolwork done. Then he came home, and then he had to get up early to do it again in Houston. But today we have more good-paying jobs than we've ever had before, with fewer people taking advantage of them. They'd rather stay home and do nothing. They'd rather freeload off society than become a contributing member. But a sluggard is not somebody without a job necessarily. A sluggard is somebody without ambition. There are plenty of sluggards who have a job but lack self-driven motivation to provide for their homes. And to those people, the Bible says, you watch how the ant works. Without having to be prodded by someone else. Look back in your text. And gathereth her food. Now she supplies her food in the summer. If you'll look back. In uh, verse 8. She provides her food in the summer. But when does she gather her food? She gathers it in the harvest. You see. Take your pens and underscore the words. In the harvest. In the harvest. There's one thing about a harvest. You know what it is? A harvest is seasonal. Seasonal. I haven't been harvesting any squash and tomatoes lately. My green beans have already frozen for the year and died. I've got a wonderful peach tree at home. That peach tree won't produce any more peaches until the spring. And I start putting them on again. You see, a harvest time is seasonal. There's a limited time to harvest your food. And the ant goes after her food in the harvest time. That's when she gathers. We have an old saying here in Texas, and perhaps they say it in other states too, but here in Texas I've heard people say all of my life, you have to make hay when? While the sun shines. You have to make hay while the sun shines. And that's all the same as saying you have to gather food in the harvest time. Why am I not harvesting food right now? Because it's winter time. Not harvest time. Winter time always follows harvest time. After harvest time, you know, you have summer and then that provides your, your, your food there. You bring it in in that time. It, 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 it grows in the spring. You harvest it in the summer and, uh, uh, and you, you provide it. So the, it's a seasonal time. It's limited um, availability. So you better be like the ant, the Bible's saying here. And gather enough food in the harvest time so you can survive in the winter time. 
The Holy Spirit is telling us here that there is a limited time for us to work and save. We shouldn't have to be told that, but as people, when we're young and we're healthy, we feel invincible, don't we? We, we, if we don't have any health issues and we've got plenty of energy to get up and go and our mind's working sharp, then uh, you know we, we feel like we can do this from now on. But the Holy Spirit is letting us know here in Scripture that there's a limited time for us to work and save. So we'd better work hard in the harvest time of our lives because winter is on its way. When you're young... Now listen close. When you're young, it's not time to travel and play. It's time to work and save. When you're young, it's not time to kick back and take it easy. It's time to kick it in gear and work hard. While you've got the energy. While it's harvest time. When you're young, it's not time to spend It's time to save. Young people, they want to go out and play like they're old people. Man, my dad, my dad's been so good with money uh, growing up. When, When I was home with my dad, my dad didn't go anywhere. Too busy working. And when he used the word work, he'd always go, work. I got work to do, Francis. Always had work to do. And uh, he would work Monday through Saturday, take off a little early Saturday, and then be off Sunday for church, come back to work Monday. There wasn't any vacation when I grew up. You may tell you about a vacation we had one time. Oh, this is good. My mom and dad's going to love this. You'll remember, Mama. My dad come home one Saturday after work. He said, y'all want to go to the beach? Oh, man, we were excited. I've never been to the beach in my life. My dad didn't take us hardly anywhere. We hopped in the car. We drove down to the beach. Got a hotel. The next morning we went out to the beach. Too late when we got there. We went out to the beach. We swam on the beach for a little bit. But I said, all right, it's time to go. I got out. Bless my little heart. I had that salt and that sand and that grit all over me. Oh, it was terrible. I just wanted to shower that off so bad. Oh, no. We don't have time for that. I had to put my blue jeans over that sandy, gritty legs of mine and sit like that all the way back to Athens. Couldn't get another hotel. Couldn't stay a whole day. Couldn't do that. We got work to do. And it cost money. And we wouldn't do it. Now, you know what happened? When all of us kids got out of the house, and my dad had worked long enough to save for his old age, you know what happened then? Him and my mama started playing hard. Traveling, bus tours, RV, motorhome. But you know what? They worked hard for that. And my dad saved for that and provided for that. The time when you're young, it's not time to spend. It's not time to play. It's time to work and to save. It's harvest time for you when you're working age. 
I know people who are Social Security age who never got around to saving money when they were young. They just never did. They, they, they lived paycheck to paycheck. They knew how much their check was going to be. And so they would spend that and get ready for the next check coming in the next week or the next month. And they lived their whole lives like that. They didn't save their money. And now that they're older, I am sure they wish they could stay home more. But they can't afford to. I know a man right now that unless something changes, he'll work until he falls over and dies. Or he just can't get up and work anymore. Because he don't have any money. Because he didn't save his money. I have a pastor friend who's always pastored a small church. And he chose, as he was younger, to enjoy only having that small church job while he was young. It's kind of nice, you know. Hey, it's not easy being bivocational. I've done it for a long time. But he enjoyed that. Getting up, preaching on Sunday, Wednesday, doing some visits. Not having to really exert too much, you know, in life. And I told him one day, I said, man, you must really enjoy being able to just pastor a small church and not have an extra job. And He said, yeah, but I have nothing to live on when I quit pastoring. He looked at me, he goes, I mean nothing. When you're young and healthy, you feel like, again, you can always keep working. But when the winter of your life creeps up on you, your energy will begin to wane. Your health will begin to fail. And you won't feel like working anymore. I can, I can speak for probably every 40, 45 year old person. When you work for so long and you get in your 40s, you start, you still got energy, you still got strength, you're still there. In fact, you're, you're really in the, some of the highest earning times of your life in your 40s. But at the same time, you feel like you're a little kind of plateauing a little bit and you, you kind of wish you could slow down. And when you get into your 50s, it doesn't get any better. I'm not in my 60s yet, but I'm sure it's even worse then. And at some point in time, it'd be nice just to know, hey, I don't have to. If I go to work, I do it because I want to. But I got enough to live off of. One day you'll wish that you had gathered in the harvest time of your life. But that time will be over. And you will either be scraping uh, to get by or you will become a burden to other people. If you're of working age today, or if you're going to be of working age soon, as we have some of both categories here, but if you're of working age today, then you're in the harvest time of your life. And if you aren't faithfully saving money for your winter time, then there's going to come a time when you may have to choose between 
your food and your medicine. How many of y'all know somebody that's had to choose between food or medicine? One, two, three, four, five, six. Food or medicine. Had a man at the courthouse before I went to work there. He couldn't afford his heart medicine. So he thought, well, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll walk up and down the stairs, try to keep my heart in the best shape I can a little bit. Maybe that'll help. He couldn't afford his medicine. And one day he was walking up the stairs in the courthouse and just died on the stairs. Or he didn't die on the stairs. He started having a heart attack on the stairs and he died as they, after they took him to the hospital. And if you've grown up, your children are gone, and now your children are grown, here we go, I'm not meddling, I don't know everyone's circumstances, but if you have grown children, you don't need to be paying their bills. You don't. They need to be paying their own bills. And you need to be saving. It's their harvest time. And yours is coming to an end. A lot of parents, they'll have adult children. And I'll tell you something that you never should do. You should never let your children talk you into borrowing or taking your retirement money and giving it to them. I've watched people I've watched it where, where, where young people need some financing on something and their credit's no good. They go to mom and dad. Mom and dad take out of their retirement to supply for the kids. The kids can't pay them back because whatever reason. And then the parents end up not having their retirement funds. And they're having to work when they're old and when they're tired. Man, don't do that. Don't do that. You, if you, you provide for your meat in the summer so you can eat it in the winter. That's what the ant does. Don't take the meat you've stored up for the winter and start paying someone who's living in the time of harvest. My dad used to work for a man who told him, Kenneth, don't eat all your beans. Leave some to plant for next year. And what he meant was, don't spend everything you make. Save some of your paycheck for another season. That's just good, wise counsel. Every person should have enough money in savings so that if they were to lose their job today or they were to lose their health today and they, they could not get up and go to work tomorrow, you should have at least three months of living expenses saved up. You can go at least three months. And every older person should have enough money invested somewhere that they don't touch where its value can grow. Work, give God His tithes and offerings, and then save as much as you can. 
Now, I want to close this message by giving some practical advice. All that was biblical advice. And you may be thinking, Brother Richard, where can I save money at today? Stock market's doing terrible. What, what, where's, where do you recommend, where could I save money today? Where would be a wise investment? Well, I'm just going to give uh, three suggestions. These are not biblical as far as the Bible saying this is where you put your money. So I want to make sure and separate this from the scripture I just expounded. But here's three practical ways that you can apply what we've learned tonight. The first is a Roth IRA, R-O-T-H, a Roth IRA. And I don't know why they don't teach this in school or in the workplace, but I found that a lot of people have been working for all their lives and they really don't know the basics of savings. But the first thing you should put money into, in my opinion, is a Roth IRA. You can put $6,500 in there if you're under 59 and a half. I, I can put 75 in there this year. By God's grace, I'll put 75 in there this year. $7,500. I'll fill it up. And the thing about the Roth IRA is this. When you put money in that Roth IRA, whatever it earns whether it's paying you monthly or quarterly dividends or whatever, everything you earn in the Roth IRA is income tax-free. Period. Which is why you can only put up 7500 in there if you're over 50 like me. So Roth IRA, fill it up to 65 or 75 depending on what your age is. And I think everyone in here that's working age is older than me, or except for my wife. Maybe you're younger than me. Yeah, you're younger than me. I got maybe two people in here younger than me that are working age. Brother Tony, maybe. I, I don't know how old y'all guys are. Y'all look awful young. Awful young. Very energetic. But um, the next thing is an I bond. I bonds. Uh, the letter I and then bonds. And those are government savings bonds that pay you based off the rate of inflation. So when inflation's up, interest is up. Uh, the past six months, they were paying me 9.68% interest each month. What a deal. It's government-backed. Inflation is down some right now, at least the government says. They're paying 6-point-something percent, almost close to 7% interest each month. It's government-protected. Uh, so, and you can get up to 10000 a year savings in those, uh, 20 if you have one in your wife's name. The next thing you could put it into is annuities. You can get a fixed annuity, and a fixed annuity will offer you more money than what you would get in a certificate of deposit at a bank. And it's backed by an insurance company, and your principal is protected. It just pays you uh, monthly uh, payments on your interest if you're older. Or you can leave it in there and let it accumulate and the interest compound itself. But if, you're, if you just want to, to protect, say you have whatever amount of money, fifty, hundred, two hundred thousand dollars $200,000 that you've saved up over the years, and you put that in annuity, 
then uh, that's protected by the insurance company you invest it with. They kick out your payments for however many years. And then when you get through, you get all the money back that you gave them originally. And you can get those for about 55 5.8% 5 uh, right now. Uh, those are three areas that I would consider uh, safe, wise investments in a tumultuous time like we have right now. Conservative investments to put them in. But put it somewhere. If you just put your money in the bank and you have a rate of inflation at over 6%, then what you just put in the bank is losing value at 6%, however much a year. You're losing money if you just put it in the bank. So put it somewhere, like Jesus said, uh, when he talked to the, in, in the parable, when he came back and he gave some people this much money, some this much money, some that much money, some, you know, talents. And he told the one person that put in the earth and just hid it in the earth and said, here, here's what you gave me. He said, that was not a wise investment. Oh, you protected what I gave you, but you didn't multiply what I gave you. He said, you could have given it to the exchangers and then you would have received that or I would have received that back plus interest. All right. So uh, that's what I suggest to help prepare for the winter time. And are there any questions or comments about this before we, we stop? All right. Here we go. And now next Wednesday I will be showing you a slide presentation and offering you the opportunity to invest in my venture. No, I'm, I'm kidding about that. But I, I did want to uh, give you something practical you could use. Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. I thank you for these people. I thank you, Lord, that what I've witnessed here at this church are people who care about you. They care about your word. and They're so faithful to give. And many give above and beyond their tithes. They care about your ministry. And that is the best investment that we can possibly make that gives eternal guaranteed dividends. Father, I pray for each and every person here, dear Lord God, that you'll bless them this week. Give them wisdom to prepare for the winter time. We ask this in Jesus' wonderful name.